Hey, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to you, depending on when you're watching this. Can you believe it? Edition 104. Yes, you worked it out right. 52 weeks in a year. So 104 means this is literally the end of like two years worth of content. Uh, something that we just started out of boredom during the pandemic has turned into interviewing some of the most amazing experts in their fields. And we've got another amazing expert for you today. Uh, I'll introduce her in a few moments. People on the podcast haven't got a clue at the moment, uh, but people watching, depends which way it decides to record this, uh, she'll be at the side of me. She's the author of Coping with Long COVID and Other Long-Term Health Conditions, Practical and Psychological Strategies for Self-Help, published in July 2021. She's also the author of Sleeping with Pain, Strategies for a Restful Night from a Pain Management Expert, uh, published November 2016. Further, she has published, yes, there's more, Break the Pain Cycle in 28 Days, Pain Busting Techniques for Every Day of the Month, that was 2017, and Managing Chronic Pain in the Family, Help for All the Family in 2018. She is one of the core developers of the hypno-antidepressant and hypno must get a new set of teeth, hypno-anxiety approaches uh, that she does along with uh, Fat Nurses founder, Steve Miller. We'll talk about them later on as well. She is a doctor, as in she has a PhD in pain psychology um, from a real university, not just bought from Universal Life Church like me. Um, she's got your general hypnotherapy standards council, your general hypnotherapy register, all the stuff that you're supposed to have if you're going to be a hypnotherapist she's also certified in nlp emdr that's the old eye wiggly as i refer it to and respectably as in conventional uh, approach wise is a consultant health psychologist as well as being an associate fellow of the british psychological society after nearly running out of breath going through all those notes that i made please welcome to the show dr sue peacock hi sue Hi, thank you very much for having me on your show and many congratulations for doing two years with the shows. That's amazing. Which we actually did them in technically less than two years, but because it was supposed to be weekly, I just some of them, I, 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 it was to overcome the boredom. I did two or three in a week, but hey, up, they're out there. Um, now, and, and people who watch or listen to this, you, um, one of your books, when we get to talk about it, you co authored with Sheila Grange, who did a uh, an episode of this so people can go back and listen to that but let's let's start at the beginning before we get into your books uh, and what you're up to now there was a time when sue peacock was not all of those many things that i've just mentioned i hadn't studied in them um what what's your origin story as they say how did you get into all this crazy stuff well it is a long story <laughs> go for it Basically, when, when I was at school, which is many moons ago now, I actually wanted to be a physiotherapist and I didn't really get the grades that I needed. So I went and worked as a physiotherapy assistant for what ended up to be three years because I had to retake my A-levels. But anyway, that's a long, long time ago. <laughs> and um, what I found out was whilst I was working there, the thing that made me um, interested in, in psychology was working with the, the stroke patients and the head injuries and things like that, because it was absolutely fascinating. My least favourite job was sorting out the referrals of, of all of those that came into outpatients. And I kept noticing that there was a pattern. There was the same people keeping coming back and back and back every few months. And 
what I eventually found out was these these people had chronic or persistent pain and that kind of sparked my interest in, in pain management and psychology. So I went off and, and did my psychology degree, but at the same time I worked as an assistant psychologist in a sort of voluntary role um, for quite a long time, helping them run, run their pain management programs. So I got a really good idea of it. And then I sort of did, did my master's in health psychology and focused on um, phantom limb pain purely because I was actually running a phantom limb physio group at the time. All right, okay. So that was quite helpful. And then I got a job um, as a health psychologist in a pain clinic. But alongside that, I also got a job in public health. So I did various different roles in public health from working my, my way up from a, a research assistant to the project manager of a sexual health project, um, a workplace health promotion. And then in 2000, I think it was, um, the government put lots of money into stop smoking services. So I set up the service in Luton and then because that was a health action zone back in the day. And then that becomes sort of countywide to Luton and Bedfordshire. So I did that alongside working in the pain clinic at Milton Keynes Hospital, which I ended up being there, gradually growing my role for about, well, it was about 20 years when I left five years ago. So, right, okay, wow. Um, yeah, and I guess working in the pain clinic kind of teaches you a lot of things but also that's the thing that got me into hypnotherapy because traditional techniques weren't great for everybody and you know I wanted the best for my patients so I really wanted to find other techniques and other things that we could do to help them get on with their lives or manage their pain better so that's that's why I decided to study hypnotherapy. Which you, you the way you phrase that's fantastically leads me to get I'm going to get the elephant out of the room straight away now then there again it may not be the right time we'll see um you i'm guessing because it mentioned on, on on your website of which are various the links will be below the video or the speaker on uh, what's it but on a uh, pain in the mind.co.uk um it makes mention obviously that you were trained in which is some sort of conventional health psychologist nhs uh, favoured approach or at least it used to be of uh, cognitive behavioural therapy CBT yeah is that what you were initially using in the pain clinics I think initially we were starting to use that because because it's a long time ago to be mm -hmm. fair about 20 years ago so it was the the treatment of choice back then um it was it was the the one of the that, that had evidence based to it so you know psychologists we, we, we were meant to use evidence-based treatment well it had evidence at the time allegedly didn't it because that's the elephant in the room i want to get out of the way um because you know as time moved, i found it interesting you've already addressed the fact that you noticed there may be other ways of doing things better and yeah. you went looking at hypnotherapy and stuff but a study in 2009 um in the british journal of psychology um said the cbt well the various things it said but no value to schizophrenia little value in depression does not prevent relapse in bipolar and generally speaking does not do what people have made out that it's done for years that the studies have been flawed they were looking back at previous studies and saying that basically they were they were not done right and then in 2014 a very vocal British psychologist uh, Oliver James came out all over the national media. One particular article was 10th of November 2014.
basically summing it up as cognitive behavioral therapy is a sham. Any help um, can easily be explained away by placebo and actually being shown some care and attention by somebody, but that it doesn't deal with underlying issues. So it's rampant for um, relapses or symptom substitution. Um, obviously, you're, you're trained in CBT, so what's your observations on those things? There seems to be more and more evidence now of the failings, especially with um, depression. Most of the studies I can find recently say that CBT is, this is the irony of it, some of the studies say it's no better than um, antidepressant, chemical antidepressants. Others use the phraseology, it's as good as chemical antidepressants. Neither of them lower positive when we consider Irving Kirsch's work and book um, The Emperor's New Drugs that show that placebo is arguably as good as or better than chemical antidepressants. So what, what does that say about CBT? Over to you, Sue. <laughs> I think that's a good question, isn't it? I think back in the day, I think because we didn't know better, CBT was, was a good treatment. And I still think for some people, it is a good treatment. I, I think it depends how you use it a lot of the time, I think some people who haven't been practicing CBT for very long tend to do very um, tick box CBT as I call it. Um, so they, they don't tailor it to, to the person. I think if it's tailored to the person, it, it can have good results. You think that's the CBT law, the fact that clearly by tailoring, you are <laughs> paying personal attention to the person in front of you and it makes them feel valued. I, I, yeah, I was about to say, I think that, um, I think the fact that if, if you, you value your person, you make them feel special, you, you care about them, that you want to tailor something to them, I do think you get better effects. I think there, there's, there's more, there's more sophisticated CBT now, I guess. Well, it's, it's kind of called third wave CBT, which is acceptance yeah. and commitment theory, which, you know, is, is more useful for, for things like pain management and, and that kind of thing. Cause it's not, it's not challenging those negative thoughts and saying, you know, of course you're not having a bad day because you've got pain, you know, it's acknowledging that you are having a bad day, but this is what we can do about it. All these other things you can still do. So I think it, it's moved on and I think it's better, but obviously I still think it, it, a lot of it is to do with the rapport that you develop with, with, with your client makes, makes a big difference regardless of, of what technique. So what, when you're dealing with pain now, because, I mean, you've got various pain-related books out. You've also got, um, you know, a complete package out for that, as well as one for uh, sleeping, I should mention. Sleep well with drzoo.com. Uh, the links will be below. What what, what are your favourite? I, I get that you've already said each person's different, but generally speaking, what are your favourite approaches these days? Um, these days for my pain people, I would probably use a little bit of acceptance and commitment therapy, but combined with hypnotherapy and relaxation and all that kind of stuff and almost trying to retrain the brain and, and develop that, that neuroplasticity pathways that, that people can change and they can improve and they can do things. It's not saying that, you know, pain doesn't exist because clearly it does, but mm. it's about trying to move forward and have a, a better quality of life despite their pain and regardless of how much pain they're in. So they would be, I'd use hip therapy, ACT. 
there are no right or wrong answers because obviously opinion and experience is unique to each of us. But what do you make of, and I'm not going to give, I'm going to mention people's names or courses names, so it's not pointing the finger in any direction. Generally speaking, there's some people that make some extraordinarily massive claims about their technique being able to completely eliminate any long-term chronic pain. Um, and personally, I think that's bollocks, excuse the language. It may help in a lot of cases, but I don't believe that there is any technique out there that works or will work 100% of the time, with, even with the people who want it to work. Um, and the prime example I'm going to give is idiomotor response type approaches. Um, unconscious mind, will you do whatever you need to, cobblers, whatever script they provided, uh, to turn off all pain signals, blah, blah, blah. There's, there's various different approaches, different names taught by different people. So I'm not particularly pointing the finger anywhere uh, because I actually teach one of those approaches as well. So it's also pointing, pointing at me. But I do make mention of the fact that I don't believe it works to the extent that a lot of them, what, what, what's your view on those types of approaches? Or more to the point, the claims made by some of these training schools that use this and, you know, someone who's been on drugs for years and years and years is in next to no time, hopefully they will have told them to do with the doctor's direction, one more bloody hope. But, you know, the claim that in next to no time they'll be off the drugs and they'll just be able to do it by... Well, as a psychologist, I never make guarantees because it depends on the other person's ability to work with you, doesn't it? As well as the work that you put in. But well said. From, from, from my personal opinion, and whether this is my skills or not, I would say that I haven't got rid of everybody's pain over the years. Some people still have pain, regardless of what technique I've used. And like you, I use lots of different ones. But likely to a reduced level, no doubt, just that it hasn't completely gone. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Occasionally, I have had people that their pain has completely gone, but often they would be people who have um, some kind of traumatic event. So we've kind of dealt with the trauma as well as, well as the pain. Right. For example, um, uh, let me think. Um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I see quite a lot of road traffic accidents because obviously I, I work for insurance companies and things like that. Um, and Milton Keynes is kind of the, the capital of the world of roundabouts, isn't it? <laughs> it's a roundabout that you could, isn't the one that like, you, you can just go wherever the hell you want round it? I think they're all like that. But, right. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's kind of whiplash capital of the world, but, beside the, but it's, it's in a funny kind of way, I guess it's, it's quite good for business, but, in the, but joking apart. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, thinking about this, this young girl I saw, she was oh, about 17, I think. And, and like most people, they get they get a kind of shunts up the back from, from the roundabouts. And she was a path, she was a passenger in the back seat. And she lived quite a distance away. She probably lived about 20 miles away from Milton Keynes. So she she developed this 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 really bad back pain. And she she, you know, it was difficult for her to go in the car and that kind of stuff. So basically we we did the we we um she came to see me and she bless her, she was crying all the way. Her poor mum. But anyway, um, so so we, we did a bit of hypnosis, just general kind of basic -y stuff to start with, because you know, she wasn't really sure what she was coming to. <laughs> and, and so we sort of had to sort of break the ice through the report a bit. 
so back and forth, back and forth. We've had about six or eight sessions, I guess, and, and um, did a variety. We did a little bit of EMDR, but we did some hypnotherapy mainly. Um, and then she had gone back to, by the end by the end of our session. She she hadn't got back pain anymore. She was back at school doing her A levels, and she was learning to drive. So that, that was a, a good result. I wish everyone was like that, but sadly. Not. So from what you said, what I heard, I get that as being like the the pain. Well, yeah, there was pain, but the, it hanging around when it didn't need to was linked in with, I suppose, we've got to use the label, it is just the label, what the post-traumatic stress of the traffic accident, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I get quite a few people like that, which is, is interesting, and it's always good to see them get on and get back on with their lives and, and that kind of thing, because especially young people, you know, everyone needs to get on with their life, but especially when she's got her A-levels ahead of her, and she, you know, she was going on to do good things, and I think she's predicted to go to a good university and things so being able to help her move forward obviously she had to put some work in herself um enabled her to get back on with her life which which was really good excellent now i you've already alluded to it earlier but i'm just going to briefly mention again that you know getting that rapport with the person in front of you uh also being the perceived authority figure which you very credibly are in a, I'm, I'm, I don't want it to sound like I'm being flippant, I'm not, but in a, a, in a conventional medical perception wise, yeah. which already has an inbuilt um, condition response in most people. Yeah. Um, I think that is a massive part of what you do and the success that you get. Um, and other things are probably just, as I've said to many people on this show, just important seeming rituals. One of which I want to go to, what, what, obviously you use it, so your view is going to be different than mine, and I fully accept that. I'd be interested to hear your view on what I call the eye-wiggling nonsense, EMDR. Yeah. Um, I quite like it. Um, I think my patients think it's a bit weird to start with because you know when I say I'm just going to wag on my pen in front of your eyes, you're going to make a difference. So we do have a joke about it because um, I think that, that breaks the ice as well, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. um, I think, yeah, I, I I get I I get good results with it. Um, I I don't know why. I don't know whether it's me, whether it's the treatment, whether it's they're ready to change, which quite often they are, and get get rid of all this stuff that's been going on. Um, See, I think the biggest part is without a doubt you. And you just address the fact that at the beginning it causes them to laugh, which is rapport building. It's also a pattern interrupt because in the context of the session, now they're thinking what we're going to do. And then you suddenly mentioning something weird that's going to make them a bit confused and disorientated. Like, what the hell are you on about? You're going to wiggle your pen in front of me or light to some people. Yeah. So arguably at that point, that in an eyes open state is going to cause critical faculty bypass. And anything you do physically or say verbally, and obviously you're saying that doing this action is going to cause this result, is arguably a hypnotic suggestion that you've given them in an eyes open state. Yeah, but I, I don't tell them what's going to happen. <laughs> what, what I do is... I well, the implications, though, that 
if you're doing it in the context of a therapy session, that it must have something to do with the issue of the game with that. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it is, I think hypnotherapy could probably be arguably a, an extension of, of EMDR. Yeah. Okay. I was expecting you to completely disagree with me there. <laughs> no. Sorry, viewers and listeners. You may have realised, viewers and listeners, this episode not quite as controversial as normal. Uh, that's mainly because I know, already know about view, Sue's views on a number of things because they align very closely, not all, but quite closely with um, a lot of views of um, Fat Nurses founder Steve Miller, certainly in, in relation to depression and anxiety, because together you put together this hypno-antidepressant and hypno-anxiety approaches, which the Sunday Telegraph uh, did a, a feature on as being, a, 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 you know, a great health innovation and, and whatnot. Can you tell us a little bit about that work that you do with Steve? Yeah, that, that was that was quite fun, really. It was, I can't believe it's four years ago. I Is it? Yeah, I, yeah, I know, I know. We need to have more innovation. But anyway, because like I said, four years ago is a long time for an innovation, isn't it? But yeah, it was good. We, we worked together and we were recognising that um, yeah, some, some conventional treatments, as you said earlier, you know, aren't always the best treatments. And there's lots of tick box CBT, particularly with, with development of primary care services. Some are better than others, like always. And so we put, we put together this package that was kind of a bit, bit coaching, a bit of hypnotherapy, where we kind of, it was about, I think the most innovative way about it was, was the delivery and the style in it. It wasn't, you know, your traditional counsellor, no disrespect to any counsellors when you go, kind of thing, because um, I do do that sometimes. But anyway. Just got controversial people. <laughs> <laughs> I can be a little bit, <laughs> but joking part. So it was it was more because the, the star was more energetic and, and um, uh, high energy. Okay. Rather than sort of the, the sitting listening, the, the kind of, oh, this is really dreadful kind of thing. Because, yeah, yeah, it is really dreadful for some people, but sitting in that pattern of dreadfulness is not going to make it any better. So it's about finding little glimpses of even small things like um, just sitting in the light in the window in the mornings to get that sunlight to come in. That's going to make a slight difference. It's about having routine. It's about doing some relaxation. It's about visualisation, but not, not visualisation of you as you are, how you want to be when you feel better, um, mm -hmm. doing the things that you want to do. Um, we, we talked about diet, obviously we talked about sleep because that's one of the things that I like, so we, we talk about that. Um, we get them to sort of set aspirational goals and, you know, little things like don't stay in the same room too long. If you're feeling low in one room, go, go and sit in some another room or go out in the garden or, or change that environment. We, we also promote exercise and things like that, motivation, building that self-esteem and, and self-confidence. So it's, it's, it's fun working with Steve. Cool. Now, you just mentioned Steve, which is uh, excellent. It's like you've got my running order in front of you and you've read, oh, you've read my mind. Um, now, you've, you've got, obviously, you've got the book out, Sleeping With Pain, Strategies for a Restful Night from a Pain Management um, Expert. Uh, that I mentioned before, but you've also got a website, Sleep Well with Doctor, and that's DR. So it's sleepwellwithdrsue.com, which is a complete multimedia um, 
package to help people. Can you tell us a little bit about anyone who may be either a therapist who wants to look at what techniques you're using successfully with clients or anyone who's actually got their own sleep issues? Um, what would they benefit from that package? Yeah, Sleep Well with Dr. C um, kind of focuses on, on two main aspects that, that I've found that tend to be the, the biggest problems for, for people sleeping. So, so one is, is sleep anxiety. And that's where you kind of dread going to bed because you know you're not going to sleep, so you don't sleep. And then you know you're not going to sleep, so you get, kind of get stuck in that vicious circle. So mm-hmm. we, we talk about different ways to deal with that anxiety um, with, with some CBT techniques, I have to say, <laughs> because the CBTI is, is at the moment the, the gold standard for, for treating insomnia. Um, so that, that But there's also hypnotherapy stuff in there as well. So it, it's, it's a blend. And then the other one is about dealing with a racing mind so there's lots of techniques to calm that mind down um my favorite one even my most skeptical friends like this one okay, you say the word the every two seconds so you stop you thinking about it and just say the word of the, the the because what happens is because it's such a boring word it doesn't mean anything so you don't kind of go off on major thought patterns somewhere else so if i said to you would think of the word dog you'd think of all the dogs that you know all the dogs that are in your road all the dogs everywhere and you kind of did this random thing but no i'm weird the first thing i thought of was scooby-doo oh did you yeah <laughs> well that was that... on a whole different pathway yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but you wouldn't get to sleep you know, <laughs> so the word the um and so yeah I, I use it myself sometimes so usually within about five minutes most most people are asleep because it, it breaks that cycle of those anxious racing mind thoughts and it, it just focuses on the word the like I say because it's so boring it doesn't kind of take you anywhere so that man I've not come across that one before and that makes complete and utter total sense and I can see the logic in that more so than counting sheep because yeah. if you're counting sheep jumping over a fence yeah. I know the theory is it's boring but if your mind starts wondering no sheep might change color or they might run off or you might just do anything to liven it up I know, and I think, you know, because counting is a mental activity, isn't it? So it really, you're stimulating your, your brain to be thinking about numbers mm-hmm. and, and that kind of thing. So it's not really closing it down or, or preparing for sleep. And then when you get, you know, you, you lose count and you get all anxious, then you're not going to get to sleep because your body's gone in that fight flight mode. So you're never going to get back to sleep. So, no, counting sheep's not great. So I always thought, you always, with the counting sheep thing, you just start one sheep, two sheep, three sheep, four, five, six, and the numbers are going up. And to me, that's a suggestion of getting up, as in like waking up. Um, Which is why, you know, with hypnotherapy, I always say when you're putting people under, I hate using that term, but doing your hypnotic induction process, that your numbers, you should always count backwards, purely because that in itself then is a... a, um, a suggestion of going down yeah, to sleep yeah um but it, it, it yeah it's just it's amazing how many books you look at out there and it, the numbers are going up and i always think that's a suggestion of waking up not yeah i know i agree with you i always count down yeah excellent um so yeah no that's a really that's a really good one that now i know you mentioned cbt again so we're gonna i am gonna go back to it briefly go back to that key point that the largest number of studies and especially what oliver james uh addressed in 2014 is that he said even when it does work for people 
Mm. And he did accept the fact that he does work for some people. Yeah. That it doesn't work in the, the long term the way people necessarily perceive because either they'll relapse in the area that was being addressed or because the underlying issues, underlying triggers have not been dealt with, that it will manifest as some other issue, so-called symptom substitution. What are your views on that? Because this all this, from a hypnotherapeutic point of view, there's all this talk about, you know, should we do regression to cause and find what the cause is? And because if you don't remove it, then there could be symptom substitution. And what are your views on all that kind of? Well, going back to the CBT thing, I think in, in terms of a lot of people in pain, that yes, CBT doesn't work long term. I would suggest for, it does for some, but, but mm-hmm. not for everybody. I think for the sleep, um, I think it works better because it's it, it's about changing behaviour. Because CBTI is, is basically about changing behaviour much more than thoughts about sleep. Because if we can change behaviour, then we can change out, out of the way we think about something. So if we know we're going to go to bed and we know we're going to get a bit a bit of sleep or we've taken the pressure off ourselves um, to say, well, you know, if I, if, I don't, if I don't get eight hours, it's not going to be the end of the world. If I get four, that's okay. Then we're more likely to sleep. So the CPTI, I think, is, is good long term because it's about changing behaviours. But again, there is lots of research for, for the pain that, that it doesn't work. Um, the regression to cause. I only sometimes do that. I don't know whether that's that's because I'm not that great at it, maybe, or maybe it's because I'm trained as a psychologist, so we treat the symptoms or, or the. Or could it be that you get a gut feeling sometimes that it'd be the thing to use, whereas the other times you don't get that gut feeling? I think so. I think it, it really depends on assessment, doesn't it? I think a clinical assessment is really important because. I do think it gives you that feeling, doesn't it, about that person and what they're going to be receptive to, what they're not going to be receptive to. I mean, you know, sometimes I I, I have people come and see me and I think there's no way I can do my EMDR on these people because they think I'm crackers. Um, and then and, we don't because I know it wouldn't work. Um, so I think it is about trusting your, your gut feeling as well, isn't it? A lot, you know, I think, you know, you've been doing this a long time. You, you know you get a feeling don't you what's what's going to work for somebody mm. um yeah not always but yeah most of the time you'll just get a, a sense of what might be the best approach for that person because you've encountered sound like stereotyping people but you've encountered very similar people b- yeah. before yeah I think that's one of the interesting things, isn't it, about a profession? You know, they may come with the label pain or anxiety or insomnia or whatever, but everybody's so different, aren't they? Which which makes it fascinating. So with pain, and I know I keep jumping back between things, but that's just the way the show goes. With pain, one thing I forgot to ask about was secondary gains. Mm. Um, what are your thoughts on them? Because, you know, so the suggestion that the reason certain techniques don't work or perhaps they don't work as well as they're expected to for certain people is not to do with the technique it's to do with 
the client having a, a, you know, they don't want to lose the disability benefit, for example. So in order to not lose that and have to totally reevaluate and change circumstances in their life, they don't allow it to work at an unconscious level and perhaps even make it worse. Yeah, I, I would say on the whole, most people don't do the secondary gain stuff because being in pain 24-7 must be absolutely horrendous. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have obviously, as, as loads of people have you know, worked in pain field for as long as I have, and there, there are people. Uh, a, a quite a funny story would, would be when I worked in the pain clinic, there was um, a, a lady that come to see us and, and what used to happen was all the new patients would see me first and then they'd see the consultant and the and, and she was out there. We, we always used to run late, but that was part of it because we, we actually cared and listened to people. So everyone, our yeah. older patients didn't really mind because they knew that we would pay as much care to them and take as long as they needed. But anyway, this, this new patient came along and she was sitting out there crying because she was in so much pain. And the nurse kept coming in and said, do you think you can see this lady? Do you think you can see this lady? So in the end, we, we did. We kind of bumped her up the list a wee bit. And, and we saw her and, you know, we thought she was in pain and all that kind of stuff, believed her. And then we just, at the end of our clinic, we just happened to look out the window and we literally saw her running down the road for a bus. So, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that, that was in my very junior days of being a psychologist. I, I, I did become a little bit more sceptical after that, I have to say. Oh, bloody hell. So she was trying to get See, medical sign off the, oh, yeah, she's in bed, but she's running for a bloody bus. But, but yeah, that that's really unusual. I've probably only, oh, this is probably about my 25th year of being a psychologist. Like, probably if it could only be a hand, see a handful of people who, who were, were, you know, looking for secondary gains. Mm. Most people really don't want to be in pain because it's not just the pain, it's impacting on their whole life. Um, it's their relationships, their work, their, their friends that they tend not to have and things like that anymore because they kind of drifted away because when their friends would phone them up and say, do you want to come out? They'd say, mm, no, it's all right, better not. <laughs> you know, so they kind of drift away, so, which is one of the reasons why we set up a support group. So there was that sort of friendship circle of people in pain. We don't talk about pain because that's just depressing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Have speakers and have a laugh. Do you, um, do you, fa- well, I'm, Sure, you do find, but do you deal with um, the peripheries of pain? So, you know, people who've got long-term chronic pain, some of them, for example, may um, start drinking too much, with, or some of them may comfort eat, or may start taking excessively, although we know there is some sort of medicinal benefits, but large quantities of non-prescription drugs or or whatever now obviously those things will have arisen during your career and the people do do you actually help in the those Um, elements as well which we try to I think particularly when I worked in the NHS we were lucky because we were quite a a a new service so we could kind of develop it the way we wanted so we used to treat the whole person whereas other services would send them off to say drugs and alcohol team or or whatever But, but we would sort of do a minimal bit to see if we could make a difference and then send them off to the experts because obviously it's all on waiting lists so we didn't want them to sit there doing nothing while they were mm. waiting so so we, we would try and do a little bit 
and, and then help them move, move forward and, and, and kind of monitor them and support them until they got on to, to, to be seen by the, the sort of the experts in that field. So I think you mentioned that's when you, when you were doing stuff within the NHS. I'm guessing that you, you do a lot more, I'm going to use the term freelance, direct stuff now than previously, hence various different websites and this, that, and the other. Um, how's that come about? Is it just because, you know, is there anything controversial there? Is it getting fed up with waiting lists on the NHS? Or? It's, it was politics and red tape, really. And the final, okay. <laughs> the final straw was um, I couldn't treat my patients the way they deserve to be treated. So I thought that's not good enough for them. It's not good enough for me. So Was yeah. that because of time constraints or because you were being told you're not allowed to use certain techniques even mm. while they were working? Well, that was quite good because I, I was the only psychologist in the hospital for years, so I could use what techniques I liked. All right, okay. Um, but 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 no, it was um, managers that don't know anything about psychology or pain for that matter. You know, used to say, "Well, I think we should be seeing these people for X amount of sessions," or uh. that that kind of thing, and or you know. If, you, if your waiting list is this long, why, why, you know, why are you seeing people for an hour instead of 30 minutes? <laughs> so, you know, and these people, I remember having a little bit of a, a rant at one of them, which I don't do very often. <laughs> um, Say, so, you know, my patients are people, not car parts on the shelf. <laughs> they, you know, they have feelings, they have emotions. So that, that yeah, that was probably the last straw that made me leave, really. I think... Again, I know I, I repeat myself in different ways, but it, it's like the emphasis there was on the fact of giving the client time and attention um, and not making them feel rushed or... I think that is such a massive, massive, massive part of what we do. Hence, I know I'm talking more hypnotherapeutically here, but there are hypnosis and mind therapy approaches, whatever they're bloody called, EMDR, tapping, don't matter, NLP, don't matter what it is. There's techniques out there that purport that for a large proportion of people, it's possible to cure their phobia or overcome whatever in like, Five, ten minutes. And from personal experience, I know that's possible. Kind of had to do it in the media and stuff in the past. However, just because you can, my personal view is, doesn't necessarily mean that you should. Um, and also because I think it's far less likely that the client's going to do, have symptom substitution or anything like that if they feel that you've taken time over them. Yeah, I think I think if people people are paying to see you, whether they're paying to see you on the NHS through their through their you know taxes or whatever, or whether they they pay to see me privately, they they deserve time and attention and to be made to feel that they're the important person at this point in time. Absolutely. And I, 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 and I think that's even more. The more you are perceived as an authority figure, which, you know, the key things on your website, from my perspective, I'm trying to think as a, a member of the general public, which is probably near on impossible for me these days. But the thing that jumps out at me first is doctor. And then, you know, people will naturally want to clarify, well, medical doctor, what? But the look and then it will jump out and it's clarified. 
PhD, pain psychology, associate fellow, British Psychological Society, this all. These are massive, boom, she knows what she's doing. Definitely knows what she's doing. Giving you massive authority. More so, I would say, than... um, just a hypnotherapist, you know, a hypnotherapist could have all the bits of paper on the planet, but because they haven't got the doctor and they haven't got British Psychological Society, which in England at least, people, pretty much every man on the street's heard of, and immediately it's got connotations of conventional medicine. And I think you know, that, that perceived authority, the more you are perceived as an authority, which you clearly are, I would argue, through those things, the quicker... The, the authority figure deals with somebody, the more likely the person being dealt with is going to have a negative um, experience, even if only on an unconscious level, because it's like the authority figure of the school teacher telling them, oh, I haven't got time or whatever. I think I think because pain, people with pain have been fobbed off for so long, you know, because they're passed from pillar to post to pillar to post to to physio to stronger tablets to whatever whatever and that's that's not their fault that's the fault of the system i think you know by the by the time they come and see me i guess my first job is is developing that trust i'm not going to fob them off i'm, I'm mm-hmm. not going to tell them a load of bs i'm going to be honest with them and if i don't know the answers i'll go and find out for them um because you know i feel really strongly that they they shouldn't be fobbed off because they, you know just because medical science isn't clever enough to, to deal with whatever it is they're going through it doesn't mean it doesn't exist so we, we need to take heed and we need to be open to other techniques that probably aren't in mainstream healthcare thankfully hypnotherapy is getting better so that's, mm. that's promising now, I mean, I think all medical practitioners, uh, at some well, caregivers, uh, on some level, they may not have been conventionally trained in hypnotherapy, but if we, if we take the approach that hypnosis is suggestion, then everything we say and do is a suggestion. And although it isn't but a cross, or it may, things may have altered in the past few years, because what I'm about to talk about, I haven't really looked at for anything related to it probably for about five or six years so you might be able to book me wise if it has changed massively um but i know in the nhs that they did start teaching um clean language i think is the term they uh, gave it which to me when i looked at it was just a case of phrasing anything you said to the patient in a manner that only had a potential positive suggestive outcome so you know they're not saying you know there's no hope here whatsoever you're always going to be in pain but if you're ethically obliged to tell them that people in their situation generally don't get more than just a reduction it won't ever go fully the you know you might put it across more as well see on the one hand there's uh there are people who it only ever reduces to a certain level it doesn't go completely However, there's a small number of people, very much like yourself, who can sometimes and quite often find that things improve even better for them than apparently so-called studies say. So there's no lying, it's keeping within the medical um, ethics, but things can be phrased in a manner where it's amplifying the positive suggestion. That's the way I understood clean language. 
Yeah, I think so. It's about being careful with the words that you choose, isn't it? To to have more of a positive, like you say, to have more of that positive view than a negative view. And I think it's you know it's 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 important, isn't it, to to be positive but realistic. So I I quite often say to my clients, you know, it's not about putting on your rosy coloured glasses, thinking everything is okay. It's about dealing with what we have and trying to make that better. So it's about it's about quality quality of life rather than the amount of pain they're in. It's what you can do, what you're enjoying, what's important to you. Those those kind of things. I guess you'll probably find in a lot of cases. Um, because that's probably diametrically opposite to what they may have encountered previous to getting in front of, of your good self, that that helps you build up the rapport easier and is also more credible and easier for them to take on board the idea that this is possible. Hmm. So probably as a, a result down the line, they probably end up getting a better outcome than they would have done if you'd started off kind of promising them the earth because they've got results along the way i think it's about sort of helping them set set long-term goals but sort of really really achievable goals so say if one of my pain patients their goal was to swim 10 lengths of a pool or whatever oh god i couldn't do that now (laughs) it's surprising because the ones that say i say you know sometimes say what are you interested and you know and they'll say oh i used to I, i like swimming and they'll say, oh, that's right, da da da, da. What, what sort of swimming did you do? And then they'll probably say, oh, yeah, you know, I, I can do this, I mean, 10 lengths of the pool or whatever. And then I'll find out that, you know, it was about when they were 20 and they're 60 now that they could do 10 lengths of the pool. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, I'm a bit guilty of that myself and I've gone back to do things. that never goes back at the same level as you think you can. <laughs> but anyway, um, so so going back to the pool example, we'd, we'd start something really, really small that they could achieve. So it would even be as small as finding out where your local pool is, finding out when there's either a disability session or, or it's quiet, so you've not got the kids all dive bombing on you. Um, have you actually got some swimmers that fit that you can, you know, so oh, yeah. really, really small things. <laughs> yeah, even going to the pool for the first time, you know, can you go with a friend, or partner, whatever. When you get in the pool, you don't necessarily have to swim. Just get in the pool, float about for a bit. And then the next time you go, perhaps just do width see how you get on and then just gradually build up really really slowly till you can do your 10 and the good thing about doing it like that is they're always achieving something so it kind of builds that confidence builds their self-esteem builds their their sense of worth that they can do something and they're not this sort of burden that sits there that they 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 kind of feel they are you're only nelpers watching or listening i hate that term nelpers but you're a linguistic programming practitioner type people uh you'll probably have listened to that and be thinking well, that sounds a lot like what we call chunking down. Mm, yeah. um, and that's because it is. Um, it is, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so breaking it down into manageable, more easily achievable. Uh, so they're always getting a, a reward after reward. Um, yeah, because cool. so many of them have got sort of so little confidence because they've had pain for so long by the time they end up seeing somebody like myself. It's, you know, it's a really important thing to, to, to build up for them. So where all of these things make talk, and these are elements of, I mean, to a degree, they are elements arguably within CBT, but they're elements that actually do work in the right context. Um, how do you, because you, you, you weave these things together, as you said before, you also use 
hypnotherapy. Um, is that more hypnotherapy in a more um, direct suggestion state? Is it a visualization? Um, what 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 sort? Because there's so many different bloody ways of using it, aren't there? I do all of them really. I do all okay. different. Sometimes I, it, like I say, it depends on the person, doesn't it? Sometimes you get that person, and you you almost get a sense that they they want to be told what to do. So mm-hmm. whilst you know part of our job is is to empower them to do things that they they need to do themselves but also if we can set the seed for them to doing it so we can be more authoritarian other people respond really well to the sort of the you know floating through clouds relaxing stuff because if they relax their pain's naturally going to ease a wee bit anyway because Mm -hmm. quite often they've got their pain anyway but because they hold themselves so tensely because they're in pain because the muscles are trying to protect the bit that's in pain so they're, they're really tight anyway so even if they just relax then they're going to be in a little bit less pain anyway so it's about finding the right thing for the right person and sometimes you don't always get it right do you sometimes, and sometimes hopefully most of the time you do i love the fact that you you saw um honest about the fact that You can't be hundred percent certain that you can help hundred percent of the people, and 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 I always say that as well. And I call out anyone who, with any bloody course or any technique, who says this will work a hundred percent of the time. Bullshit. Might work hundred percent of the time if you only ever see people that you're pre-selected down to such a point that you've got rid of all the ones that there's a chance of it not working on. Then fair enough. Um, but no, hats off to you because I think that's I think a lot of people in our industry get end up with imposter syndrome on some level because they're seeing and hearing all these things apparently coming out that are, are going to work 100% of the time and and fall into the trap of going on course after course because they think that will be the thing that's going to work 100% all the time and then feel really deflated when what you've just said is the outcome that I think I think it's good to go on different people's trainings and different mm. things because I think you, you do get different techniques so if one you know your your go-to one doesn't work then you've, you've got something else in the bag to at least try haven't you so I think it's good from that point of view but yeah I think it's I, I don't know that I've used any technique from any training that's worked 100% of the time exactly I wish you had <laughs> yeah. but you both, I, I don't believe it exists no. um if, the, if the, there was any such thing by now, surely conventional medicine would have bloody found it. I, I think so. Considering how expensive, you know, a lot of the treatments for pain patients are, I think if, if there was a, a cheaper way, then, you know, regardless, you know, the, the, the economic balance of it would, would make it be their treatment of choice, wouldn't it? Mm. Well, yeah, you would think so, although controversially the way they wasted money during the pandemic on things mm. god knows um yeah. whether looking after the pennies is right or not so bloody hell just looked at the clock we um we're, we're, well we've got about another eight to ten minutes left to it, just, it, it does it does go quick uh, i'll just remind all the viewers and listeners that below the video 
or below the speaker image that you see on all the major podcast platforms, you will find all of Sue's uh, websites and contacts, which she, I've got some of them here, but she will have inboxed me after this interview. So I've got all of them that she wants me to put underneath, underneath so you can get in contact. So you can jump on Amazon. And if you just type in Dr. Sue Peacock into Amazon, up will come all the books that I mentioned. Well, worth having a look at because, of course, there's techniques that you can have a look at. And as NLP would say, model perhaps either for yourself or for use with your clients. So I'm going to hand the stage over to you now, Sue, so to speak, um, and ask you the question that I ask everybody at, at the end. And that is, what would your, and it doesn't matter whether this is related to sleep, pain, or just in general, uh, what, 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 whatever's up to you, what would your top three tips be to somebody who's perhaps currently doing a course or thinking about you, that they're at the very early days of things, they may be not even gone full time yet, but they've got a desire to end up uh, in the long term being a professional hypnotherapist or mind therapist. Um, what would your top three bits of advice be to them? I think my first bit of advice, which I was given way back many years ago as a student, is remember you can't help all of the people all of the time. Okay. Um, I think don't, I have been guilty of this perfection paralysis, so don't do that. Anything is better than nothing in, in, in getting out there. Don't wait till your content is absolutely perfect because it won't go out there because <laughs> I used to be like that. So, so, yeah, so get that out there. And I think, you know, have a range of trainings you know don't have, have a good good grounding and then as, as you find your feet and get a little bit more confident be, be prepared to learn from other people and 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 you know seek seek out the people that are, are sort of sort of you know I, I look at people who, who do pain and sleep and all that kind of stuff but you know so look at look at people and, and don't just look at UK people look look at look at worldwide people because there's some really interesting people out there that, that you can learn from and I think that most of the people I've come across over the years have always been really generous and really kind and, and giving with their time so don't don't be afraid to ask people and, and ask for help Excellent tips. And although that would normally be where we'd end, I've just realised I've missed one key question and I really wanted to ask you, and I am going to ask it, and sod it to the fact we're possibly going to overrun a few minutes. And that is going back to the book, Coping with Long COVID and Other Long-Term Health Conditions, Practical and Psychological Strategies for Self-Help, that you've co-authored with uh, Sheila Granger. Um, tell us a bit about that, because obviously the COVID it's still there it's still a part of life it's not getting as much media scaremongering at the moment as it did but it's still it's still there um and i know that i i, I think it's just about stopped now but for a good number of weeks after me um getting covid at the end of february i kept having the brain fog and it was Touch wood, that's kind of gone out. How can this book help people? Basically, we decided to write it because there was nothing else out there. But what they were saying about long COVID was there were symptoms 
that at that point in time and still now are very very similar to ME and chronic fatigue syndrome and all of those kind of stuff so we, we put our energies into the book to try and to provide practical skills based on what we've known from from working with long-term health conditions so things like you know pacing managing fatigue resting properly um like the brain fog stuff the pain the the, the loss of smell and that kind of thing so we, we put together sort of really practical strategies that somebody with long covid could just pick up and read the relevant chapter or probably can even read the relevant chapter depending what their, their 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 brain fog was like but they could pick out bits that they could give a try and think oh yeah that's quite a useful technique or they look at it and say yeah must be joking <laughs> or, or or you know then hopefully they'd pick out the techniques and, and at least give them some of them a try or give them a, a starting point because um definitely around here it was very difficult to see a gp back in that, that the back at that time um it long- still is now around here it's manchester well. it's, it's still a nightmare yeah and I think, you know, back then, long COVID clinics weren't established um, because of this book was written really quite early on in, in, in the pandemic in, in the big scheme of things. I think a lot of people who ended up at long COVID clinics were the people who had the breathing disorders and things like that, which, which was fair enough. But the ones with more ME, CFF type symptoms were kind of um, sent off to those kind of services. And around here, they basically said, no, because we haven't got funding for you. Um, so they didn't have anywhere to go. So so we thought, well, if we write something that, that at least gives them something to do whilst they're waiting to get their appointments or whatever, at least make them feel a little bit empowered, not, not helpless, you know, stuff they can do that's okay, does does take effort because everything takes effort, doesn't it? But hopefully they can start to see a little bit of a change. I know it's there on Amazon and people can buy it directly. And I'm not saying don't buy it. In fact, I'm saying go and get a copy because, you know, whether it's for research for your own use. But have you not tried to get, I don't know, government, central government, if they can waste frigging tens of millions of pounds on PPE that doesn't work because it's made wrong, surely they could bung you and Sheila some money and um, get shed loads of copies of this printed up to give away free to people. Well, I I did write to one of our MPs who was the, the COVID lead at the time, but never had any response. Mm. well there might, might be a new mp or new government to deal with soon <laughs> well thank you sue it's been an absolute pleasure everyone please do check out sue's links below go on amazon type in dr sue peacock uh if you've got any particular questions uh, i strongly suspect that if you uh contact sue via a website if she can i'm sure she will point you in the right direction of which one of her books will have those answers in um what is, are you going to be joining us in September, by the way, at Event 22? No, sadly not, because I shall be on holiday. Oh, well, the good news is you'll be on holiday. The bad news is we won't get to see you. That's a shame, I thought we... I know, I was hoping to catch up, but no, I'm, I'm taking my mum on holiday, so... Right, nothing for it. Steve's going to have to organise another event for after Christmas. as an excuse to catch up. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, that is episode 104 of Hypnosis Week with Dr. Sue Peacock. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.